Welcome to episode 8 of Making Websites Win. If you haven't done so already, we recommend you start at episode 1 and listen to the episodes in sequence. Otherwise, welcome back. Let's continue. Winning websites manage complexity. Can your visitors not see the wood for the trees? Here's an eight-step approach to managing complex sales. When we ask a website's visitors why they didn't buy, we hear them say the same things over and over again. Lack of trust comes up a lot, as does lack of understanding and inability to find a suitable product. However, some objections aren't widespread. They are product-specific. For example, there might be a hundred reasons why a buyer isn't ready to buy Customer Relationship Management, CRM, software. And each of the reasons is specific to CRM software. Each objection has to be tackled individually. What can you do if your visitors have tens or even hundreds of different objections? This is where conversion gets hard. For a marketer who was hoping just to add a few testimonials and a guarantee, the problem can seem overwhelming. It can only be solved by a combination of process, diligence and skill. And the following steps. Step 1. A simple template to manage visitors' objections and your counter-objections. Step 2. Should you use long or short copy? Try to reduce how many words you need by reducing the commitment, and then use as many words as you need. Step 3. How to organise your persuasive copy using separation of concerns. Step 4. Make it clear where one module ends and the next begins. Step 5. Optimise your navigation. Step 6. Two ways to improve how you label modules. Step 7. How to use progressive disclosure to stop your visitors getting lost in the detail and then abandoning. Step 8. Fallback options to convert users who still can't find what they need. If your business has many different objections, this chapter describes how you can overcome every single one of them. Some of the steps may seem obvious, and some may require a lot of discipline to implement, but together they represent the easiest way to grow many businesses. Of all the chapters in this book, this one is probably the hardest to follow when in audiobook form. If you're finding it hard to picture the examples, you may wish to skip to the next episode and return at a later date. Step 1. A simple template to manage visitors' objections and your counter-objections. In section 2, we described how to identify your visitors' objections. To manage all the responses, we recommend you create what we call an OCO table. A table with two columns, one for objections and the other for counter-objections. To begin with, the visitor type and visitor intention should be broad. For example, all visitors to abc.com. However, if you work for a large enterprise, a national cell phone carrier, say, it may be something narrower, like 
visitors who are under contract with another carrier who are looking for a new phone on a pay-monthly-rate plan. Into the Objections column, add all of your visitors' objections as revealed by your research. To make your list more manageable, you may wish to rank the objections by how frequently they get mentioned. In the Counter-Objections column, write down the most effective responses you'd give to overcome each objection. You can identify good counter-objections using the following techniques. Ask salespeople how they respond to each objection. Look through the company's sales training materials and sales scripts to see whether there are pre-written responses to each objection. If there aren't, the table you are creating should be added to the company's sales training course. Ask live chat support representatives how they counter each objection. See whether the company has canned responses for live chat. They can be a goldmine of tested counter-objections. Come up with counter-objections yourself. With most companies, this is the most fruitful method. The people who are best at coming up with counter-objections tend to be intelligent and diligent and have an obsessive knowledge of direct response marketing techniques, persuasive copywriting, psychology and usability. All the core skills of CRO. Step 2. Should you use long or short copy? Try to reduce how many words you need by reducing the commitment and then use as many words as you need. Your website will need to contain at least as many words as you'd use when selling face-to-face. -face. But this raises an important point. Selling what? If your company makes Customer Relationship Management, CRM, software, you have a wide choice over what you sell at each stage. At one extreme... You could aim to complete everything in one step, selling a three-year enterprise-wide contract for the CRM with a multi-million dollar commitment. This may require months of face-to-face -face meetings. At the other extreme, you could sell an instant free trial with no credit card required and postpone the rest of the selling to a later stage in your conversion funnel. It may take you no more than a minute of conversation to sell a free trial face-to-face. If you ask for less, you don't need to use as many words. So it pays to explore how you can redesign your conversion funnel so that each step becomes less commitment. Of all the possible low-commitment steps, lead generation or lead gen pages deserve a special mention because they are particularly effective. A lead gen page is a page designed to collect the visitor's contact details, often their email addresses. The Submit Your Email Address field on a lead gen page represents a low perceived commitment to the visitor, but a high value to you as a marketer, because it allows you to lead nurture the visitor with long copy ad infinitum, or at least ad tedium. Of course, if you lower the commitment at an early stage, Bear in mind that you may have simply deferred the commitment and the persuasion required to a subsequent stage. Sometimes, a free trial of the product or service does that persuasion well. Also, it allows you to collect visitors' contact details. 
Sometimes a free trial doesn't work, though, especially if the product or software unavoidably requires the user to commit time or resources. Commitments can include money, work, time, and risk. Beware of sub-optimizing a particular page only to discover that the problem pops up further down the funnel. A supermarket could get more customers to the checkout by getting the security guards to drag them there or by closing off the rest of the store. But it wouldn't increase profits. The most successful online retailers do both. They reduce the commitment required from the buyers by pricing products aggressively low and then using many words. In many situations, it's most effective to offer a dual path to provide direct, low-commitment calls to action plus long copy. Successful software companies often provide a low-commitment way forward, a free trial, plus detailed information for those who would prefer it. The calls to action may be scattered throughout the copy, so visitors can proceed when they are ready. Alternatively, the call to action may be in a lead gen form that's either static or scrolls down the side of the page. You can offer as many paths as there are next steps that you'd like the buyer to consider. For example, you can offer 1. An order button for visitors who are ready to buy, 2. A button for visitors who want to schedule a trial, and three, pages and pages of information for visitors who want more details. Step three. How to organise your persuasive copy using separation of concerns. No matter how long your page is, your visitors should be able to easily find the information they need. They shouldn't have to read the whole page from start to end. A web page should be long like a phone book, not like a Russian novel. Your challenge is thus one of information architecture. How can you organise all the information so that visitors see what they need and at the right level of detail without getting bored? This is conversion at its hardest. It's one of the biggest challenges for many websites. It's also extremely fruitful when you get it right. In the following... We present some techniques and concepts that don't appear in copywriting books. They will help you a great deal. Separation of concerns is a fancy name for when information is organised and encapsulated into modules. The concept is closely related to the phrase a place for everything and everything in its place. Separation of concerns is essential when you're managing a lot of content. For website design, the modules can be paragraphs, page sections, pages or groups of pages. By modularizing, you allow your visitors to easily find the information that they need and to ignore the rest. It's hard to stress how important it is to organise information into an architecture that's easy to navigate. Once a visitor is lost, it's difficult to show them counter-objections. They'll never find them. Separation of concerns may seem obvious and straightforward, but once a company does it badly, a mess quickly ensues. We are fans of a particular brand of sit-stand desks. However, whenever we recommend them to people, we struggle to find the version we own. 
there are over 20 variations, each with subtle differences. The problem is common to many e-commerce websites that give each product variation its own page. The visitor has to play a game of spot the difference between different product pages, many of which are almost identical except for a few differences. Visitors don't want to play spot the difference. If they are buying a laptop, they don't want to browse product names like ABC123-1TW, ABC123-2TB, etc. Instead, they prefer to see headings that reflect their current mindset and that narrow down the choices. They want to be given choices like, do you want it with a 1TB or 2TB hard drive? And, do you want it in black or white? A product page should help buyers choose between the available options. It shouldn't be just a database dump. The following hack is useful if you are unsure of the logic by which your products or services should be sold. Phone the company's sales department and ask an open-ended question like, I'm having trouble choosing which sit-stand desk to buy. Could you help me? Then notice which questions the sales advisor asks. If they are good, they'll ask questions that narrow down the choices. If they are great, they'll have a mental logic tree that elegantly narrows down the choices in as few steps as possible. They almost certainly won't ask what the website asks, do you want product ABC, product DEF or product GHI? Only a web marketer would do that. There's one more reason to clearly modularize your content. If information is hard to find for a visitor, it will also be hard to find for the website's editors. So it will be even more likely to deteriorate over time. Poor separation of concerns tends to snowball. Some telecoms companies' websites are messy to the point of being almost irrecoverably out of control. Step 4. Make it clear where one module ends and the next begins. Once your information is clearly modularized, you need to make it clear where one module ends and the next starts. You can do this using a hierarchy of text sizes and formatting, using the following techniques. Headings and subheads clearly show the start of sections and subsections. However, be aware that readers tend to be less aware of the structure than the writer is. Readers are typically fine with Heading 1 and Heading 2 styles and tend to be just about OK with Heading 3 styles. By the time a page has reached Heading 4 or below, the readers often struggle to understand where they are in the hierarchy. Paragraph returns indicate minor changes of topic. The opening sentence of a paragraph often introduces the theme of the paragraph. Text in bold reveals key points to help skim readers. Bullet point lists represent parallel ideas. Another way to group information is to add background colours to page sections. To make it clear where one section ends and another starts, try using alternating grey and white backgrounds. Another way to demarcate sections is to put information into boxes which don't take up any additional space.
Step 5. Optimize your navigation. Good navigation helps users find the information they are seeking. Navigation elements include horizontal and vertical navigation bars, tabs within pages, and on-page Johnson boxes, like the list of links near the top of our article at conversion-rate-experts.com forward slash design. Your navigation should reflect how your visitors would expect to find things. For example, for an e-commerce fashion retailer, users first expect to segment by age or gender, for example, women, and then by type of product, for example, clothing, and then by subcategory, for example, dresses. The modularization should reflect the visitor's mental model not the mental model of the website's creator. When we doubled the sales of the web app Photo Shelter, we achieved a 12% increase merely by optimising the navigation. Photo Shelter's visitors converted much better after seeing examples, so we added an Examples tab to the navigation bar, which gave the 12% lift. If you are unsure how to organise your information, Card sorting allows your users to do it for you. Step 6. Two ways to improve how you label modules. 1. Label each module with a headline that's clear and descriptive. It's important to use the right words in a section's heading. Your words should concisely describe the contents of a section in a way that will be obvious to visitors. Unfortunately, many websites fail in this respect. In many websites' navigation bars, for example, the headings can be understood only by someone who's already familiar with the website. For example, companies often use the names of their products in the navigation even when the names aren't self-explanatory. You might find it useful to think of it as surprise navigation. With surprise navigation, you don't know what you're going to get until you've got it. Surprise navigation is as pointless as a road sign that can't be understood until you've arrived at the destination. It's generous to even call it navigation. It's more like an in-joke. Surprise navigation isn't limited to navigation bars. It also appears anywhere that has road sign functionality, including headlines, subheads, the titles of page sections, and other page elements. Surprise navigation is a common problem. It leads visitors into oblivion, and it kills conversions. You can eliminate yours by reading all of your headings, including the tabs in your navigation, the headings of pages, and the headings of sections, and then ensuring that each heading would be understandable to a newcomer. Then, to confirm that you were right, Carry out user tests and treejack tests. 2. How to fix your headings. Many marketers mistakenly label modules with categorizers when they should have used spoilers or teasers. It's often not enough for a heading to describe what's in the module, it should also tease or spoil. So, if your page has a section of media testimonials, 
introduce it with a spoiler headline. That way, you communicate the message even to skim readers. Say one of your headlines is Media Mentions. That's what we call a categorization headline. You could improve the headline slightly by turning it into what we call a teaser headline. See what the press are saying about us. But you could increase it more by turning it into what we call a spoiler headline. We've had rave reviews from Time, CNN and many others. For persuasion, spoiler headlines usually win because they show the most important information. However, if you definitely want the user to click through, use a headline that teases, not spoils. So, a video of a kitten pouncing on a hawk would be a categorization headline, which few people would click on. If the headline was turned into a spoiler headline, a kitten pounced on a hawk in a playful way because they are friends. The click-through rate would be no better. However, if it were turned into a teaser headline, a kitten pounced on a hawk. I was expecting a nasty ending. What happened next was amazing. The click-through rate will be much higher. Even many professional copywriters make the mistake of using categorization headlines when they should have used spoiler or teaser headlines. Take the following categorization headline. Meet the fourth-gen Thinkostat learning thermostat, which we have anonymized to protect the guilty. It would perform much better as a teaser headline. The fourth-generation Thinkostat learning thermostat. See how we've made the best even better. Or as a spoiler headline. Meet the fourth-generation Thinkostat learning thermostat. Now it controls your hot water, it's more beautiful and it's even easier to use. Step 7. How to use progressive disclosure to stop your visitors getting lost in the detail and then abandoning. Progressive disclosure means hiding information so visitors don't see it until they need it. We rely heavily on progressive disclosure. It is still greatly underused. On the web, the most common method of progressive disclosure is to put information onto another page. That way, visitors won't see the information unless they click on a link to it. This method has drawbacks, though. Once visitors go to another page, they may not return. It's often much better to use on-page elements. Examples of progressive disclosure. By the way, the paper and ebook versions of this book contain wireframes of the examples described in the following section. There are many ways to hide information within a page so it's revealed only when the user hovers over it or clicks on it. Carousels with right and left arrows indicate that more products can be viewed. It's possible to use horizontal and vertical carousels in combination to show two different dimensions of data. For example, in an e-commerce store, you could show thumbnails of colour variations on the horizontal axis and photos of different views of the product on the vertical axis. An accordion can be used to hide detail. 
Tooltips are a great way to conceal information until it's needed. There's no limit to what can be put in a tooltip. A travel website may choose to display the times of return trips when the user hovers over the outbound journey. When the users hover over an image, an alternative view can be shown. Information can be hidden behind a Read More link, which, in the context of a bookseller, might sound like a subtly placed marketing slogan. When clicked, the Read More turns into Read Less, which would be a terrible slogan for a bookseller. The information in a help centre can be intuitively categorised into subjects. When the user clicks on a triangle, the answer is revealed. You can keep the answers short by linking to separate pages for users who want even more detail. Progressive Disclosure lets you overcome a visitor objection at just the right moment. Visitors to sunshine.co.uk were concerned that the company had no phone number. We wrote a counter-objection that explained why this perceived shortcoming was actually a benefit. We added, where's our phone number? to the header and linked it to an overlay. This was one of the contributing factors that helped us make an additional $20 million, £14 million per year for the company. Simply Safe is an innovative home security company. We have helped it to grow its revenue by more than five times. Its team members are some of the smartest, most dynamic people we have worked with. Because Simply Safe systems are self-installed by its customers, the customers need a lot of advice. Simply Safe's website shows a photo of all of the components of the alarm system. Above each component, there's a plus sign. When clicked, each plus sign reveals a different full-screen overlay that contains enough information to warrant having its own page. But it's better for it to be in an overlay so users don't lose where they are in the conversion funnel. At the start of this chapter, we described progressive disclosure as hiding information. However, it may be more intuitive to think of progressive disclosure in the positive sense, as adding information that otherwise may not warrant space on the page. There are so many ways to progressively disclose information. How do you know where to start? Should you use a tooltip or an exit overlay? In what follows, we describe the four types of building blocks with which you can build progressive disclosure elements. Building blocks of progressive disclosure. 1. Ways to indicate that more information can be revealed. You can use any of the following visual text cues to indicate that more information can be revealed. 1. Arrows, triangles and chevrons indicate that information will appear as an expanding element. 2. Text that's made to look like a link, usually by being a different colour or underlined, is often effective and uses no additional space. 3. Icons with a plus sign, question mark or lowercase i on them, use little space and hint at the nature of the content that will appear. 4. Magnifying glasses, 
depending on context, can indicate that the resulting information will be zoomed in or that a search field will appear. 5. Nothing. In other words, no clue that information will be progressively disclosed is sometimes the best option. For example, if a user hovers over a particular page element, a tooltip may appear unannounced. Take this approach if you aren't anxious for the visitor to discover the information and you don't want to clutter the interface. 6. Elements that are abruptly cut off indicate that there's a way to reveal the rest of the element. If only part of a photo, for example, is visible, visitors correctly guess that the rest of it can be revealed. This is one of the techniques we describe on our website in our article about how to make users scroll down your page. Building blocks of progressive disclosure 2. Ways to trigger the information The information can be triggered in several ways. 1. By users clicking on the area. Use this if you don't want to show the information unless users are keen to see it. Two by users swiping, as with carousels. Consider offering clickable arrows too to supplement the swiping. Swiping is great for showing a large amount of extra information without disorienting the visitor. 3. By users hovering over the area. Use this option if you are keen for the information to be viewed. Touchscreens don't support hovering, so touchscreen users usually have to click instead. 4. When the user scrolls a certain distance down a page. 5. When the user appears to be exiting the page by moving their pointer above the viewport of the browser. 6. Some websites effectively do progressive disclosure in reverse. They reveal the information spontaneously when the page loads and then allow it to be hidden. Some websites display notifications that appear when the page loads and then disappear after a few seconds or when the user closes them. Qualaroos on-page surveys appear spontaneously but can be hidden by clicking on their Minimize tabs. Building blocks of progressive disclosure 3. Formats in which to present the information The hidden information can appear in several formats. One, in a separate page. Do this if you aren't anxious for the visitor to return to the original page. 2. In an overlay. Overlays can be effectively used if you don't want to distract the visitor from your conversion funnel. 3. In a carousel. These come in useful when there's a lot of similar information to show. 4. In a tooltip, which is effectively a small overlay. These are great for small amounts of information. They tend to be anchored to a point on the page, so they can be fiddly when triggered near the edge of the viewport. 5. By a page section expanding within the page. These are particularly useful when the information doesn't need to be hidden again, and when expanding them won't mess up the layout of the page. Building blocks of progressive disclosure 4. Ways to trigger the information to be hidden again. The revealed information can be hidden again in several ways. One, by disappearing when the user stops hovering over that section. 
This can help or hinder users, depending on whether they are more likely to have problems continuing to hover over the content, because it's small, or hiding it, often because it's large. Hovering doesn't apply to touchscreens, for which clicking must be used instead. 2. By users clicking on a close icon. This is often the best option. Users tend to understand it well. 3. By users clicking away from the page element. This is convenient for users who are in the know, but it isn't discoverable, so it should be used in addition to showing a close icon. 4. Spontaneously, after a certain time period. This is often used with information that appeared spontaneously too. 5. When the user stops doing whatever triggered the information. Step 8. Fallback options to convert users who still can't find what they need. Sometimes, visitors will fail to find information no matter how well you have structured it. In such cases, the following fallback options can be effective. A search box. Search can help users to find what they need, but only at the expense of teleporting them into a different part of your website. Once they arrive on the search results page, they often lose their bearings. Once in a while, look through the queries in your search logs to identify which information the visitors had failed to find while browsing. Often, you'll find that the information wasn't where users would have expected it to be. A knowledge base. Knowledge bases can help users find answers to their questions, but, as with search boxes, visitors who search knowledge bases often lose where they were in the conversion funnel. Live chat. A live chat operator should be able to find information that the visitor can't. Whether live chat is economically viable depends on the economics of your business and not on the whims of the customer support team. A prominently placed phone number. Not all visitors want to pick up the phone, but for those who do, phone calls tend to convert extremely well. The main drawback of phone calls is that they don't scale easily. Call centre operatives need hiring, training, paying and looking after. As such, the ideal combination is usually for the website to do as much of the work as possible. We'll begin the next episode by describing strategy and explaining how winning websites sail past their competition. And that's all for this episode. If you'd like to be kept up to date with our new discoveries, get our free email newsletter from conversion-rate-experts.com forward slash gifts. Until next time, we wish you the best of luck with making your website win.